In Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. As we consider this idea of faith, it's a pinnacle of our faith. It's one of those things that, well, in fact, it's even just that. I are going to say it's a pinnacle of our faith. You know, you're not supposed to use the same word in a definition that you're trying to define. But it's such a central point in our relationship with God that it's almost, it's very hard to describe faith almost without using the word itself. But, you know, when we look at, like in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, it says, it's for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And so it tells us that we're saved, that our very salvation comes to us through a channel, and that channel is faith. That is the thing that determines where we spend our eternity. It cannot be overstated, the importance of this subject of faith. In fact, that's really what he's bringing these people in the book of Hebrews to at this point is to recognize that if they're going to stand, it's going to be by faith that they stand. He's just got done pointing out to them that they have stood for Christ so far up to this point, And he's used their own example even to tell them, look, you were doing well. You were standing it. From his standpoint, he's saying it appears to him that they are people of faith. Otherwise, why would they have stood with Christ like they did? And that their standing for him earlier in their life indicated that they have faith. But he's also pointing out that if you do have faith, you will continue to stand. And so as we left our passage a couple weeks ago, at the end of chapter 10, we noticed that the word faith is already popping up into the conversation. In verse 38, he's quoting an Old Testament passage, and he says, But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And so God's pleasure in the person was based on whether or not they had faith. What would be the opposite of living by faith? Shrinking back. What are these Hebrew Christians tempted to do? Shrink back. Because they're being persecuted for their faith that we read about earlier in chapter 10. And so they're tempted to shrink back, to pull back so that they don't stand out. Pull back, go back to the Old Testament sacrifices that were still being offered at the temple. And he's telling them you can't shrink back. You know, if you think all the way back to chapter 3 and chapter 4, he used an example in their life. And he said, do you remember your forefathers? Moses led your forefathers out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Moses was a faithful servant of God in doing that. Your forefathers refused to go in and take the promised land the first time he led them up to its edge. And so what did God do? He swore in his wrath, they will not enter my rest. And that whole generation died in the wilderness before 40 years later, the next generation would get to go into the promised land. And so he's already been using some examples for them in this discussion of faith. He said, look, don't be like your forefathers. Their disobedience 
was evidence of their unbelief. They came through the Red Sea. Then they turned their back on God in the wilderness. And they did not get into the rest. They did not enter the promised land. He told them at that time, you won't be able to enter the rest either if you turn your back on Christ. You've been baptized into Christ. And now if you turn your back on Him, you aren't entering that promised land either. So he's used a negative example. And then in this passage right before the one we just read today, he uses a positive example. He says, look, you used to stand strong. You were running well. You were doing great. But now you seem to be shrinking back. But he ends it with a very positive statement. He says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. But you see the importance of this issue of faith. You have two groups of people that he's referring to. Those who shrink back and are destroyed, those who have faith to the preserving of their souls. That's what we covered last time. Then he's going to go from there into a lot of positive examples. He's going to give examples from Israel's past, and even before Israel existed, from people's past. And he's going to give positive examples of all these things that these people were to accomplish through faith. Some of them were accomplishing great things through faith. Some of them were suffering horrendous things through faith, but able to do it faithfully. But in all of them, the one common denominator, in fact, from verse 38 of chapter 10 to verse 3 of chapter 12, he uses the word faith 28 times. And that's his point. If you follow the examples of the past of the forefathers that went negatively, you're showing your lack of faith. But if you follow these positive examples and even your previous experience of standing firm in your faith, then you're demonstrating that your faith is legitimate, that your faith is real. But before he gets too far into the examples, he defines faith. And that is what we're questioning this morning. What is faith? He says it's assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. So in other words, these things are invisible things. But notice there's a big distinction to be made between things that are invisible and things that are non-existent. He's not talking about believing in something that is non-existent. He's talking about believing in something that is existent, but it's just not seen. And so as we look through this passage and try to describe what is faith or look at God's definition of what faith is, that's what we're going to consider this morning. And we're going to look at three different ways that we see faith portrayed to us in this passage. The first way is that faith is about seeing the unseen. And the reason that I say that is he points out right at the beginning, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, even though these are invisible entities, they're things that we cannot see or haven't seen yet, they're realities. And what does it mean to have conviction? What does it mean to have assurance? Well, I I would say... The ability to know that they're true. The ability to know that they're there. In other words, the ability to see them even though they are unseen. And that bears fruit through the rest of the passage. Notice it says in in verse 7, it's going to use Noah as an example. And it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So Noah, the events were yet unseen. You know, and obviously it's talking about Noah's ark and when he builds the ark and it saves his, his household. And God had told him to build the ark because he's going to flood the earth. You know, from what we can tell of the book of Genesis up to that point, I don't think Noah even ever saw it rain before. Because before that point, Genesis says that the dew watered the ground. And, and if you look at the description of how the earth was created, it says in Genesis that God separated the waters from the waters and the wa- area in between the waters he called sky. It appears that there was like a big canopy, a big dome of water around the earth above the sky, which would have filtered the sun rays as they came in and made it very much like a tropical garden on the the earth. 
And when the windows of heaven were open and that water came crashing down for the flood, Noah's being told to build a boat on dry land and he's never even probably seen it rain before. So then why does he build the boat? He builds the boat because of one reason. He knows that God's faithful. He believed that what God was telling him, that there was going to be a flood, he believed that that was true. And for 160 years he builds a boat. Can you imagine all the ridicule and the the fun making of Noah that was going on during that time? But he held that God was true. Somebody from Focus on the Family said, well, the way I describe faith to my kids is faith is acting like God's telling the truth. And I thought, man, what, a, what an awesome definition. Faith is acting like God's telling the truth. In other words, you're really convinced that He is telling the truth. It's exactly, when you think about it, it's the perfect answer for us to come to God through. It's the perfect answer for us to be saved by. Because you know what? It's exactly the problem that we had that got us in this boat to begin with. Because God told Adam and Eve, don't eat from that tree. The day you eat from that tree, you will die. Adam and Eve acted like God was telling them a lie. They didn't believe Him. They believed the serpent rather than the Almighty God. And that's what got us into this boat to begin with. Let's go to verse 13. It's given several examples and then it stops and it makes kind of a summary statement here. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. God had promised them things. And when they died, they still had not seen them. And that's why he says they died in faith. Still trusting. Still looking forward. Still knowing God was faithful. Still hanging on to the truth. I think of Abraham. Abraham was told, your descendants will be to you like the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will be to you like the stars in the heavens. Uncountable. Do you know how many children Abraham had? Two, one kind of illegitimately with Hagar, the only one that God would recognize, Isaac, one. Abraham was told, your descendants will be like the sand on the seashore. He had one child in his lifetime. Now, by the time he dies, it's not going to be anywhere near the sand on the seashore or the stars in the heavens. But he knew that God would fulfill his promise. And though he wasn't seeing it with his eyes, he could see it. Well, that's what this is saying. He's saying these people could see the things, the, the fulfillment of the promises, though they would not live to see. In fact, you get down to the end of chapter 11, it points it out again. It says these people did not live long enough to see the fulfillment of these promises. And then he goes on to say, you know why? Because God had something better for us intended, something that included us as well. And so they have this ability to see things that aren't even happening yet. See that it's better to do it this way, even though I'm not getting it right now. You know, that's a problem. When I look at through the chapter of faith, and I, the first few times that I read through it, getting ready for, for today, the thing that stood out to me the most as I read through it a few times fairly quickly, just to be reminded of the overall flow of thought and, and to see the big picture of what's being talked about, is contrast between faith and immediate gratification. You know, we're in a society where you have everything fast. You know, I, I, have some, I had somebody tell me not too long ago about how much better another phone is than mine because it's so much faster. I can't keep up with my phone. My phone's fine for me. It does way more than I know that it should do. But we're so used to fast and it's getting faster. You know, fast food was the thing of uh, the previous generation before us. The boy, you could drive up to a window, order it within a couple minutes, they hand it to you through the window. They got those kinds of things. We got so many things coming at us so fast these days, gratified immediately. I remember when we first moved here, there was kind of a joke. We left Seattle and then Oatana. Seattle, you could have anything you wanted 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then we were told when we moved here, you can have anything in seven days. You know, and, and, <laughs> and now through Amazon, sometimes we order it one day, it's there the next. I don't even know how they do it. Wow, the Pony Express has improved. You know, there's immediate gratification, but if you look through Hebrews 11, it's all about patience. 
It's all about people getting promised things that they wouldn't even see in their lifetime. But they hung on to that promise because they knew that they were true. They knew that God was not a liar. They knew that this was the right thing to do, to continue to trust Him. And some people were paying huge prices. And why were they able to do that? Because of their ability to see the unseen. They knew that God was telling the truth, what He told them, even though they can't see it yet. doesn't look like it's coming even right on the horizon. We know that it's coming. And so they have that ability to see it. It spells it out pretty clearly too when we get to verse 27. He even uses the words. He says, By faith he left Egypt, talking about Moses, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I love that. Why was Moses able to leave the palace of Pharaoh's and to go out and suffer mistreatment with the people of God rather than staying in the palace where he was raised, trading in his power for persecution? Why was he able to do that? It says because he, it was like he was seeing the invisible. What would make him, what would make him take the side of the slaves? Israel at this point has been in slavery to Egypt for 400 years. They're not really anticipating things getting better in the near future. But Moses is for some reason. He knew that Joseph had talked about the children of Israel taking his bones out of there later. That's what faith is. The ability to see the things that are unseen. The seen things that, you know what, it doesn't look like God is moving in this direction right now. But he said he's going to keep that promise. I know he's going to keep that promise. You know, it's about how you think. It's about considering God to be faithful. In fact, that's another word that props up in this in this passage here in a few places. Notice about Sarah in verse 11. It says, she considered him faithful who had promised. That's why she was able to have a child in her old age. It says, because she considered God faithful who had promised. Well, as we go on a little bit farther down in verse 19, it says he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. This is talking about Abraham. When Abraham was commanded by God to take your only son, Isaac, who is the child of promise, God had promised that through Isaac that his seed would be blessed. And then God tells him to take Isaac out and sacrifice him. And Abraham does it. He travels three days out there to a place that he doesn't even know where he's going yet. God's just directing him. And he knows that when he gets there, he's going to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham has three days to think about it. How can this be? God promised me my family was going to come through Isaac. How can he keep that promise if he's telling me to kill him? And can you imagine the thoughts that were going on through Abraham's mind as he's marching 12-year-old Isaac up the hill? Isaac's even asking questions. Man, we got the wood. We got the fire. We got everything but the sacrifice. What are we going to do for a sacrifice? Abraham just tells him God will provide himself. And all the while in his mind, he's going to kill Isaac. But what did Abraham consider? Abraham knew God was faithful. Even though the actions that he would have to carry out would seem to go against it, Abraham knew God would keep his promise. And so what was the only thing that he could think of? It says that he considered him faithful. He considered that he would raise Isaac from the dead to keep his promise. And then a little bit later in the passage, we see the same thing with Moses in verse 26. It says, He considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You see, Moses is saying, look, even if i got to go suffer with Israel, that's the better place to be. He doesn't know how God's going to do this. Even when God comes to Moses and tells him, go down and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses is full of questions. <laughs> He's like, I don't know how this is going to happen. Why would he listen to me? Why would anybody listen to me? But he considers him faithful, just like Sarah, just like, just like Abraham. And so that ability to see the unseen. Well, we find that throughout the Bible and other places as well. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, it says, As we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 8, he says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. 
And so Peter recognizes that these people were believing in somebody that they had not seen and that that was, that was faith. 2 Corinthians says we, we are holding, we're focusing on the things. Imagine that. We, we look not at the things that are seen. Well, those are the things you can actually see. But rather we look at the things that are unseen. In other words, we're looking at things that we can't see. He says, but that's exactly the Christian faith. That's exactly what we focus on. Why? It's because those things that are permanent, those things that are everlasting, those things that are real. Now, obviously with the apostles, that all these things didn't start out as unseen. Because even John would say in 1 John in chapter 1, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. In Acts chapter 1, it talks about how Jesus had to prove himself to his disciples that he was resurrected again from the dead. It says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So on the one hand, when you think about this, you think, well, wait a minute. Isn't even part of our faith actually built on proofs? It's built on the fact that we can know that this stuff is true because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And we have proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so there is a provable foundation that we start with. But you know what? Faith is its like with the disciples were gathered around with Jesus. And he said, you know what? I'm leaving. I'm leaving and you can't come with me right now. But I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I could prepare a place, I'm going to come back again and receive you to myself. That they haven't seen. There Jesus has given them a promise. I'm returning for you. I'm coming back for you. And that they haven't seen. And they're confused. And they're even saying, wait a minute, where are you going? How are you going to get there? Jesus told them, you know how to get there. They said, we don't know how to get there. What are you talking about? We don't know the way. And that's when Jesus says, I am the way. But you know what? From then on, these the apostles, when you think about it, they would do the same thing the Old Testament saints did. They would die waiting for Christ to return. Christ still hasn't returned. We haven't seen it. We can't see it, but we know it's coming. And they would face their death with Him still not having returned for them, knowing that He was faithful. We're warned of the same thing. Second Peter chapter 3, it says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, Where is the promise of His coming? You see that? He's warning us. He's warning them. He's saying, look, as you get closer toward the end, people are going to come and they're going to make fun of it. They're going to scoff at this whole, whole idea of Christ coming back. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, he's saying, look, it's been a long time. And it has, you think about it, pushing 2,000 years since Christ left and said he's coming back. Peter says there's going to come a time where people are going to say, you know what? He's not coming. You and I have seen the same thing in our society. How many movies have you seen where they will refer to something, the, the chances of something happening like, yeah, when the, second, when the return of Christ comes? I've seen it mocked in that way. And that's exactly what Peter is warning us of. And it says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through the water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that it now exists are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And so he says, look, they willingly forget things. They're willingly ignorant of things. One, that the world, same thing as in Hebrews, that the world was created by the word of God. Two, that there was a big flood. There was a big judgment that came also at the command of God. And the world was created by separating the waters and then it was destroyed by bringing them back together. And he says, and now there's a fiery judgment coming at the end. 
What is the reason that it hasn't happened yet? Why is it taking so long? Well, he goes on from there in verse 9. He says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The statement that he's making here has nothing to do at all, actually, with how long it took God to create the world. God told Moses he created the world in six days. The day for Moses was the same day that it is for you and I. But he's making a point. What does he mean when he says a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day? The point that he's making comes right after that. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It's been a long time since Christ promised to return, but that day will come like a thief in the night. So why is it taking so long? You know why it's taking so long? It's not because the Lord's slow, like they're saying. It's because he's patient. He's patient with us, waiting for us to come to Christ, those who are still going to believe to come to faith in Christ. And that's exactly what it's saying in Hebrews. It says, by faith, we know that God created the world through his word. He says, but you know what? All these people died not having received the promise yet. And we can lump the apostles into that too now because they died before Christ returned because God's timing was to include us that would come 2,000 years down into the future and we would have something better. This ability to see the unseen, it applies to one, the past. He says that by faith, we understand that the world was created at the word of God. It was formed by the word of God. You know what? It takes faith. To believe that. We can recognize that there's a lot of things around our world. And in fact, I enjoy doing that. I enjoy uh, answers in Genesis and their, their ministry. And I enjoy looking at all the things around this world that are evidences of two things. Evidences of the young earth and evidences of, uh, of the flood, of a global flood. And there's, there's so many evidences for both. It's, it's, it's amazing. The flood, we find clam, uh, clam beds on mountain peaks. There's so many different things that indicate a young earth as the Bible teaches, and also the, the flood. The same things that the Bible said that the scoffers would be willingly ignorant of in Second Peter. But you know what? The fact of the matter is, the creation of the world is an unseen thing. None of us were there. And so he says it's by faith that we know that the world was formed at God's command. He spoke it into existence. Our faith also applies to the present. Because when we look at it, it says in verse 6, that he that comes to God must believe that he exists. Present tense. That God exists. You cannot come to God. You cannot have faith in God unless you believe that he exists. And that he rewards. That he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And then also, it also points to the future. And that's what a big part of the book of Hebrews is about. Is that a lot of these people died waiting for those promises to come. Knowing that they were still going to come in the future. So faith is the ability to see the unseen. Some of those things are unseen because they're in the past. Some of those things are unseen because of their very nature, the very presence of God, His existence. He is invisible. And some of those things are unseen because they lie yet in the future. But what is faith? To act like God is telling the truth. To know that these things are real, even though we can't see them. But then faith not only is about seeing the unseen, faith also is about being commended by God. And that's really the point that he's making here. These people are looking at turning their back on God, going back to those old sacrifices, and he's telling them, look, you can't. It is through our faith in Jesus Christ that we are commended before God. It's through our faith in Jesus Christ that we're accepted before God. 
It's through our faith in God that He finds pleasure in us rather than performing judgment in our lives. And that's what we see that word commended is repeated several times through the passage. Verse 2, it says, For by it, talking about faith, by it the people of old received their commendation. In other words, their approval. They were approved. They were pleasing before God because of this faith. Then he goes on in verse 4. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. And how do we know that he was commended as righteous? It says God was commending him by accepting his gifts. Remember, God accepted Abel's offering and he rejected Cain's offering. And so that shows God's acceptance, God's approval, God's commendation. And he says Abel offered that offering through faith. We go on a little bit farther into verse 5. And it's talking about Enoch. Enoch is the guy that didn't die. He walked with God and God just took him. It says and he was walking with God and he was not. So Enoch did not have to suffer death. A very rarity in the Bible. Elijah would be the other one being taken away in the chariot of fire. But Enoch didn't have to suffer death because God was pleased with him. And that's what he's saying at this point. He kind of comes around the issue from the other side. He says, now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And then he goes from the other end of it and he says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. You know what? I'm I'm convinced that a big problem, a big misunderstanding about the concept of faith within our generation, within our society, uh, falls down to this thing right here. I had the same problem myself. Until I was 20 years old, I thought faith meant that you believed that God existed. And I believed that God existed, but I was still very much on the pathway to hell. I believed that God existed. So what was I missing? It says those who draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards. That He's the rewarder of those who seek Him. Now, if you believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him, then what are you going to do? You're going to seek Him. And you see, that's the difference. Before I came to Christ, I knew that God existed. I didn't have any problem with that whatsoever. Never did. I always figured He existed. But I wasn't seeking Him. I wasn't living for Him. I wasn't pursuing Him. I wasn't, I wasn't longing for His reward that He has for those who believe in Him. And you know what? That's the difference. So many, so many people out there, I'm convinced today, think that they are going to heaven because they believe a couple facts. That they believe that God exists. That they believe that Jesus died on the cross. That they believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. You can go on and make quite a doctrinal statement if you want to. And there's a lot of people out there that believe those things. But you know what? There, there isn't one thing that I just said right there that Satan himself doesn't believe and know it better than any of us. There's a difference just between knowing about God and seeking God. There's a difference between recognizing the fact that He exists and pursuing Him, looking to be commended, wanting to be rewarded. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be rewarded. It's built right into us. Just like when you're a little child, it's right for you to want to please your parents. You know, it is right for us to want to please God and to be commended by Him. To be under the commendation, under the pleasure of God. And that's what all these people, all these heroes of the past did. They found their commendation in God. They didn't care what the world thought about them so much as they cared what God thought about them. They didn't care about the, the pleasures and the, and the possessions of the world as much as they cared about the, the pleasures and the possession that they found in God. And that's what we need to be. That's, we need to find our commendation, find our our pleasure in God's pleasure with us. Now, faith is also about overcoming death. 
And the reason that I point to that is because of the two examples that we've looked at are the first two examples. He gives one example that is Abel. And then what does he point out specifically about Abel? He points out that Abel, though he died, still speaks. And so he's showing that Abel's faith, his righteousness that he received from God through his faithfulness and offering the appropriate sacrifice before God through his, through his faithful worship, that Abel still has a voice. He still has an influence in this world. He still speaks. In other words, he outlasts his physical life on this earth. And then the other one is Enoch. And he points to Enoch and says, look, Enoch commended God. And what did he do? He didn't even have to die. He was just walking with God and then he was not. He didn't have to experience death. Our life here is, is short. And at the end of this life, where are we going to spend the rest of eternity? And his point to these people is, look, through faith, we have an eternity with Christ. Through faith, we overcome death. And he's going to use some of those examples as we get later on into chapter 11. So in the next little bit, we're going to continue our way through chapter 11. We're going to look at the different examples of faith that have given to us as he looks back at all these positive examples that we have to influence our lives. And we're going to see different characteristics of each one as we look out how they live their, their life of faith before God. And hopefully we're going to learn a lot of things about how we can live out our life of faith before God as we get better at seeing the unseen, focusing on the things that are invisible, as we get better about pursuing the reward, looking to be commended by God and finding His approval, and as we recognize that this is the path to overcoming death with our life.